In Session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or to suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 3104410555. So today is the 23rd of December, and it actually will be my last show of the year because next week I'll be out of town, won't be doing any shows. And so, um, as is often the case, New Year makes us reflect on the past, think about the future. Um, but also, I wanted to talk about time as well today because it is quite interesting the way we experience time there's a whole psychology of trying to understand how we perceive time how the mind makes sense of time of course there's things far beyond what i can understand of even trying to understand what is time and space and time um won't be going there because i don't know how to so won't be touching those subjects but wanted to think a bit about how we think about time and how we experience time and what that is like for us and even this notion that we reflect at the end of the year it's it's interesting how we do that because you really could do that at any time pun intended doesn't have to be end of the year but there is some way that we tend to feel like something is changing or something is ending and we reflect on a certain period of time because of that and a year happens to do that for us quite clearly even though really the ways we keep track of time there are things that we create but then once we create them they have meaning and we experience them as having some kind of a meaning and the way we even experience time especially in a more grand way when I'm like weeks and months and years for most people we experience the calendar in some way for example you feel like okay we're in october you might even feel let's say a couple months ago in october you're near the end of the calendar whereas when it's february you're earlier in the calendar and some people even experience this more significantly they're called they have calendar synesthesia so synesthesia is when we someone experiences more than one sense together for example they can taste colors or um, they can see sounds for example if they See, some people might see a number and say it's smooth like, or it's it's bitter or whatever it might be. They might blend two of the senses together. And there are some people, it appears, who experience the calendar in a certain way that they strongly visualize it. To me, I think most of us do this, but I was reading some articles of certain individuals who really see it in a certain way. Like, for example, one woman would see it as a V extending away from her. And so the further away was further on the calendar. And another woman saw like a hula hoop that if she, um, and always December was part of her body and then the rest would go around her, but they would really visualize it in a way that was very intense. And they did some studies looking at how that would work for them. That made it seem that they were more um, having this synesthesia than 
typical people might have. But nonetheless, my own experience and most people I talk to, they do have the sense of being in the calendar some way, um, which is quite interesting because, for example, let's say with our Gregorian calendar that we use here uh, in the United States and many other countries, we have months and the months can feel like the start of something new. For example, okay, it's now March 1st and we feel like March 1st, that's a new beginning. But the months aren't even the same amount of time. For example, February will have 28 or even 29 days. Again, even there, not the same length of time. And the amount of time between months isn't necessarily the same. When we say four months, depends on the months if we're going to say exactly how many days it's been. But there's some feeling of newness of, okay, now it's March 1st, a fresh beginning, a fresh slate that affects how people feel, which is interesting. So again, it's because we have created this way of measuring time or keeping track of time, but then we experiencing it as a very real, almost like a place. And there is some thinking that the way we experience time in this way of like a calendar, it's related to the way we make sense of ourselves in space, in our location. And to me, this really does make sense. As I was saying, this feeling of being somewhere in the calendar, which is why we also can feel like, okay, I'm back in December or back in Christmas time, it almost feels like a certain location, a place that we are arriving back into that feels different than other months or other times of the year. Of course, there's things that go on as well, but we have this feeling. Um, I also recognize this with things like anniversaries. So let's say, for example, there could be positive anniversaries like on you know the 22nd of the month is like whatever your anniversary of something, but there can also be negative anniversaries so people will who've lost a loved one we know that when that date comes back so if they passed away on june 16th when june 16th comes around the next year you often will have a lot of memories and things come up and so this could be interesting for us to think about because why should that be so what difference does it make it's been 365 days, even if maybe it was 366 days if it was a leap year. But why does that feel like something? Why does that bring up so many feelings for us? Because there's a sense that where we are in the calendar is like a place and you're going back to that place and it's bringing up all these feelings. Just like if you go back to a physical location, those feelings come up. You go back to your old school and all of a sudden... These memories of your teachers and being there and being a kid might come back and you might see it looking smaller than it did when you were a kid, but you might have all these memories come back. The same thing happens when we come back to the same place in a calendar. So we have, in a way, interpreted this way of making sense of the world to make it feel like we're in a physical place. So I think that's quite interesting because it might not even make sense to us why that would be. Now, even this sense of place, although we might say, well, why do we have it or need it? We don't necessarily need it. We do like it for how we keep track of time, keep track of things. And of course, a year represents the sun going, uh, the earth going around um, the sun, which also gives us some sense of like the seasons and things can change and we might do different things based on the seasons, especially if you were, let's say, in agriculture, then it was really significant, uh, the seasons and what to do at what time and what to expect at what time. But for most of us, it doesn't make that much of a difference. The weather might change, but really it doesn't make that much of a difference as far as what we're doing. But it is a way that it helps us keep track of time and almost can give us a sense of grounding. So going back to this concept, 
of the calendar as a physical place or where we are in the calendar. Sometimes I imagine if we didn't have the calendar the way we do, or we didn't have days and years, we just kept tra track of the days. And so we started at some date many years ago and counted days, even that would be some type of keeping track. But let's say now it would be day 563,422. And the next day would be one day after that, and one day after that. When I actually think of this, I have this empty feeling, like this floating feeling, like there's no sense of how the time is going. So tomorrow is day 500,422, then 423, 424. It just keeps going up. There's some sense that actually when we start back at one, something feels good about that. Something is grounding about that. Or coming back to the same time the next year has some feeling of grounding for us. Okay, we're back at March 1st. Something about that feels like a physical place that I am coming back to. So I think of these um, concepts of times that we have that we don't even usually think about, but sometimes become more aware of, to me are quite fascinating in how we make sense of our experience or even our life. Right now, for most of us, if you're, you know, and that also, this is a thing for those of us in America, let's say in other countries that have this calendar, we're getting to the end of our year. But other people, if we look at, for example, the Iranian calendar, Chinese calendar, they're not experiencing the new year. So they might not have the same reflective experience that we might have now. Oh, let me look at 2022. And what did I experience? Was it what I expected? Was it not what I expected? What were the highs? What were the lows? What did I do that I wish I didn't do? Or what do I regret and wish I did? I thought I was going to accomplish more. This is a very common experience people have. They reflect on the year. Gosh, I wish I did more good things this past year. And so we find ourselves in this reflective state very often, but people who are not on that calendar won't have those same thoughts. And it's partially arbitrary and socially constructed, but that's how we tend to experience things. So most people, myself included, might be reflecting soon, especially next week. We still have about a week left of like thinking about, well, what did I do this year and what do I wish I did and what do I want to do next year? And so if we think about New Year's resolutions, which I might talk about at some point, we set these goals of what we hope to accomplish in the new year. There is a sense that we get this fresh start. Okay, January 1st, 2023, it's a new beginning. And so I can be a new me. You know, we hear this phrase, new year, new me, which I don't actually like because I think it in a way makes people think that they're going to become someone different magically, also that they have to get rid of all the parts of themselves when really it's like, no, it won't be a new you. You can try to keep working on yourself. That's good. But I don't like the concept of putting yourself away or throwing yourself away and thinking a new one is going to magically show up January 1st doing things that you've never done before. And related to that, we know part of why we do this or are capable of doing this is that when we think of our future self, we don't identify with it the way we do about our present self. So I can imagine a future me waking up at five every day and doing a hundred things that it, I never did before myself, but for some reason I can imagine that person doing it because it almost feels like a different person. So somehow I can imagine completely a different way of doing things and being that probably isn't realistic. So I don't think we need to do that. But going back to this sense that we do it on January 1st, there's no reason why we can't do it on whatever other date, September 3rd, 
reflect and make some new goals and start something new. Um, we can do that at any time. And so if we find ourselves reflecting, I actually think reflecting isn't bad. So if you reflect at the end of the year, no problem, go ahead and do that. But it could be good to remember it's not something that you only have to do in these landmark type of moments when the calendar is shifting or changing. We really can do them at, at any time. And so our experience of time, one last thing before the commercial break, we tend to think of, you know, we, we all know that saying time flies when you're having fun, which is um, true. We've all experienced that in some way where you're having a great time. You can't believe time has gone by or you're doing something painful or having a boring time and uh, time goes by really slow. I think the slowest time is planking time. So I don't know if you... Um, anyone is planked where you hold yourself in kind of like a, a position it works your abdominals and some other muscles as well but time goes by really slow sometimes you'll set a timer and think you're doing uh, you know 30 seconds or a minute and you look and it's been like five seconds because it's hard to do and it's painful the time feels like it's going slower so our perception of time can definitely change based on how much we're enjoying something or how difficult it is. But they've done studies trying to test this or see how flexible this is. So they had people do a task and they said, okay, you're going to have 10 minutes to do this task. And there was different groups. Uh, they couldn't see you know, any watches or clocks or anything. So some of these groups, when they, uh, they would come back in after five minutes and say, okay, the 10 minutes is up. And then for other people, the other groups, they would, after 20 minutes, come in and say, it's been 10 minutes. And then when they asked these people, how much did you enjoy what you were doing? The ones who were told it was five, 10 minutes took only five minutes, so they thought the time went by so fast, they reported they had more fun than the people who, although they were told it was 10 minutes, it actually was 20 minutes. So they felt like, wow, that felt like a long time. I must not have had a good time. Now, this is unconscious. They weren't aware of any of this happening. But it's interesting that our perception of time is, is pretty flexible and we can experience things in a way that make it hard to make sense of it, or we try to make sense of it. Well, I must have had a great time if that felt so quick, but they're telling me it was 10 minutes. I thought that was, that was quite fascinating. So I'll continue some thoughts about how we experience time, also about setting goals and things of that sort, because as I said, we tend to do it for New Year's. We don't have to, we can do it anytime, but I think it's always a good time to set goals and not just goals as far as, okay, I want to get to specific numbers, although that can be helpful and I will talk about that, but also just new ways of trying to approach how we live life or make sure we're living the life that we want to live. So let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the first segment, I was talking about time, our experience of time, and some of the peculiarities of how we make sense of it or even the feelings that we have attached to it. And I was talking at the end about how time flies when we're having fun and how we actually make time or if time feels like it's going slower, we're not enjoying ourselves or not having a good time. And I had an experience recently related to this that was actually kind of the opposite of that um, experience. So it was about two months ago and I went to a soccer match. This wasn't the World Cup. It was before the World Cup. And I was very excited about the match. I was going to seeing some of my favorite players play and I remember having this thought that I'm so excited this is going to be so fun but 
I was worried the game would go by really quickly because I knew I would be so excited and be so into it and, you know, having such a good time. And of course, time flies when you're having fun. So I'm like, oh, this game is going to be done so quick. But I actually had an interesting experience that was quite the opposite, that the game felt like it was taking a very long time. I remember watching the match and I would look at the clock, you know, in, in soccer, the time is running. And I would think a lot of time had gone. I had this feeling of this anxiety of not wanting it to finish. And so I'd look thinking, oh, probably a lot of time has gone and just a few minutes would have gone by. And it kept happening that the the first half felt like a long period of time, the 45 minutes plus a little bit of extra time felt way longer than 45 minutes. And the second half, I had that same experience. So it was kind of an interesting experience for me because I thought it was going to go by so fast and trying to make sense of it. What I think was going on was that I was so engaged and so much was happening for me to process that it was taking a long time in a way or felt like it was a long time or it felt like so much was happening. So I think I was actually so engaged with the game and watching so much, experiencing so much, feeling so much that it felt like a lot was happening, that I was going through so many things. So that was an interesting one, and I was quite happy that it felt so long because it was something I enjoyed doing and was happy to be there. But it was funny for me that it, time didn't fly when I was having fun. Time felt like it was going very slow. So I wonder if in other moments I'm actually not experiencing things as much. Let's say I'm watching another soccer match at home or I'm not as into it. Maybe it feels like it's going faster in some ways because I'm not as into it or I'm not paying as much attention to everything that's going on to take it in for that experience to feel longer in that way. Another experience that people have related to this time flying is if you've gone on, let's say, some kind of trip or let's say you're visiting someone that you have a great time with or are doing so many things, you might at times have this feeling like, I can't believe it's over. I can't believe it's gone by so quickly, especially if you did a lot of fun things. So time maybe did fly when you were having a good time. But what you might also experience, and I've had this happen several, many times, is then if you think back to the beginning of the trip or whatever it is, the beginning of that time with that person, it feels like a long time ago. So it's this paradoxical experience of time was flying. I can't believe it's over. I can't believe it's done. But if I also think about the beginning, uh, it feels like so long ago. And I think it's a similar experience to what I was just sharing about the game in the sense that you experience so many things that it was enjoyable. Time went by fast. You weren't bored in that sense. So time maybe felt like it was going faster for you in this period of time. But when you think of the beginning of it, it feels like so long ago that you you can't believe it's only been a few days or, you know, a week or however long it's been. I've had this several times. I remember working at this uh, camp that would be in the summers and going and having a great time. And I remember just so much going on. And by the end, I'm like, wow, the, tomorrow's the last day or this is the last day. And, and being in shock that it was time to wrap up and almost time to say goodbye. But then I would remember thinking of the first day and it would feel like a month ago, not like five, six days ago. And that was, again, this paradox of feeling like time went by quickly, but also being packed with so many things that I enjoyed or so many experiences and, and feelings and things of that sort that it actually felt quite long. 
So it's it's an interesting paradox because the way we experience time is not some objective type of thing. There's some degree that we keep track of, of things and you might have a certain idea, but time can feel like it's going in, in different speeds or uh, lengths of time or might not be as easy to keep track of as you would think. So our, our subjective experience of time is definitely something that's not based on some standard clock. We do have some circadian rhythms, things that keep track of the day to a degree that we can pretty closely monitor how long a day is or where we are in the day to a degree. But overall, our perception of time is very much affected by so many factors, not just about what we're experiencing. Another way that our experience of time can be affected is how rested we are, how tired we are. Um, If you are very tired and it's hard for you to stay engaged with a task, it tends to feel a lot longer. So this can feel like the planking experience where we're doing something that's difficult, time feels like it's slowing down. So you go to class and you're really tired and the time of the class is going so slow. You check and you're like, oh my God, it's been two minutes. How am I supposed to get two hours of this? But that's because you're less rested. It's more taxing on you. And when things are harder for us, it tends to feel longer. So it can be harder to get through a day when you are feeling tired, partially because everything takes a little bit of more energy or effort and it's harder for you to do. So our experience of time is something that we have to look at as another perceptual experience that isn't just a one-to-one on reality, even something like vision that we think we're just seeing the world out there. We can see so many ways that It's not quite that, that there's so many things our brain does to try to make sense of things that isn't just about what's out there. Our experience of time is similar, that the way we experience time, we can feel like we know how long it's been or it's been this long or it's been these many hours or minutes, but it's not necessarily the case. We also saw this happen with COVID or the way COVID has created sort of a, a ripple in the calendar of our lives. It's been a little bit of time since um, the first parts of the pandemic over two years, so 2020. But for many people, especially when we got into 2021, and still for me, when I think about this that period of time, I sometimes forget when things happened. Or um, for so many people, I remember when it was, let's say, the fall of 2020, and they would think of last summer. Rather than thinking of a few months ago, many people would think of the summer of 2019 because it almost felt like the summer of 2020 didn't happen because we didn't do the things usually we do in summer, the experiences that we have. So our experience of having a summer felt like the last summer I had was 2019 rather than 2020. And so I've had this experience too. And I try to think of how long ago something was um, or during that period, it was a little bit confusing because it was like, oh yeah, during that period, this was going on or that was happening. And for many people, um, time felt like it was going more slowly. I remember feeling that way earlier on in the pandemic of just like days and weeks were not really going by as fast as they used to because they were less packed with the things that I would experience that would make time go by. And so again, we see some of these paradoxes where I was just saying sometimes when we have a lot going on, time can feel like it's going slower, but also it can feel like it's going slower when we don't have a lot going on and we're just sitting in each moment or experiencing them. In certain ways, time can feel like it's slowing down. And so that also cannot feel good in that way either. But our perception of time for many people got confusing and, and even murky 
And because I wasn't doing the things I tended to do on a regular basis, I remember losing this sense. I was talking about this grounding. I remember losing that sense of grounding. And one thing for me was quite um, fascinating that made me keep my sense of the passage of time was reading the books. So because I would read a book once a week and I would still for a little bit of time, we didn't do the shows and then we started again. So things were a little bit um, all over the place as we tried to adjust to what was going on and adjust to how long it would be going on. But I remembered one thing that helped me keep a sense of regularity of time was reading the books. So I'd be like, okay, well, I'm halfway through this book or mostly through this book. It's getting close to the end of this week. And then the next one will begin and then I'll move on to the next book. And that gave me this actual sense of the continuity of time and also the separation of the space of time. Okay, this is a week and the next one is starting and going on to the next one as well. So we can see that our perception of time can be affected by so many different factors, things that we experience. We might think, well, what's the best way to experience our time? That's a a, a big and loaded question. One thing I think is Uh, important to keep in mind, and even when I think of that story of the soccer match I enjoyed so much, is that we want to be more present to the time that we are experiencing. So I felt that when I was more engaged in what was going on, time seemed to slow down in a good way, where I was really experiencing and taking in so many things. When we actually think of a lot of things we do in life now, we almost try to pass the time. How many times have we been on our phone and you go on Instagram or TikTok or some app and you scroll through things and keep seeing different little videos and pictures and an hour has gone by, two hours has gone by. And it's not necessarily that you are having fun, I would say. I think it's actually more that we're so distracted and not as engaged that we lose a sense of our time and our connection. So again, the opposite of that soccer match experience I had, we're not as engaged to feel every moment or to feel what's going on. And so time goes by and we don't feel like we lost that time. Sometimes it does feel that way. Uh, We might even think of it as a waste. It could be good to unwind and watch certain things, but we didn't really experience what we were going through. And so I think that's something that I find very true of of the current time. Um, It's always been true, I think, but even more now that people almost are looking for ways to, to waste their time or to get through their time, but I don't know to what. It's almost like we're not experiencing our lives fully and just trying to get to the next thing, but not necessarily sure what we want to do with that next thing. Or we try to save time. Oh, you know, this will save me three minutes here, four minutes here. But then when we save all that time, what do we want to do with it? And we're not sure how we want to even experience that time. So as we're reflecting on the past year and we're thinking about the next year, as I was saying, we can do it at any time, but it seems to come up for almost all of us as the new year is approaching and the new year starts, that's something else that we could think of is how am I engaged with my own life and engaged with the things that I'm doing? If I had to live my days over again, would I want to? How many of those days would I want to live again? And how much of my life am I actually living from day to day by being, experiencing it, being with whatever it is I'm doing? We we often talk about quality time in relationships, which I think is really important. Sometimes People feel like they're together all the time, 24-7, especially during the pandemic that I was talking about. But how much of it is actually engaged together, talking together, looking at one another, doing an activity even together where you're experiencing that that time? 
So to me, to make the most of our time, which we know is finite, no matter how long we live, it's at some point going to end. It's to be doing things that make us most engaged, most connected with ourselves and with the people around us, with the activities that we are doing. And that tends to take a little bit of effort because we have to actually choose the things we're doing that we want to do and make sure we're doing the right things and also approach them in a way that makes us more engaged, but also resist the temptation to distract, which is often a temptation to get away from our feelings, to not be in touch with what's going on. I'd rather not feel my sadness or my upset feelings. I'll just scroll on my phone until I get so tired and then I fall asleep. That's one way of approaching life that we can get drawn into quite easily, but it's probably one that will make us feel like, did I use the best use of my time? Do I feel good about the things that I did with my time? And so for me, it's a big thing to keep in mind when we experience things. Can I stay connected to myself and those around me and not be drawn to the urge of distraction, which is essentially what our phones and apps are trying to do? They're not necessarily trying to engage you. Yes, they capture your eyeballs and they want to keep you on the page, but not necessarily in a way where you're engaged in a positive way, just as long as you don't stop. And sometimes the best way to make us not stop is to make us not realize what we're even doing. We stay intoxicated in some way on their page or on their app without keeping track of how we're actually using our time or maybe are we losing our time. Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Okay, so now is the part of the show where I help you figure out how to become an amazing person next year and how you're going to have the best year of your life and all those good things. So get ready. Uh, Okay, maybe not exactly that, but I do think it could be good to think about setting up goals and planning ahead and what we want to do. And so it does take some reflecting on the last year and, and, in, and in previous years and things like that. But what I think is important is to not just look at what you want to do. I know at times people say, don't think about the negative. There could be something to that. But if we want to try, under, try to understand why we didn't achieve what we wanted to achieve, we have to see, well, what got in the way? Why didn't we achieve the things that we wanted to achieve in this past year? For most people, their goals from year to year they might change. The topics usually don't change too much or the themes don't change too much for most people. Every so often they might have a new hobby or interest or focus on a new part of their life. And so they might set a new goal that totally didn't exist before. But most people you talk to, it's the same goals. And, and some of them are on the same topics, things like health, whether it's getting in shape, losing weight, building muscle, doing something like that. Oftentimes it's stopping a bad habit that they have, whether it's something more, uh, they actually have, you know, an addictive side to it, some kind of substance they're using or some behavior they're doing too much. Maybe I was talking about being on our phones, on apps, using social media less, doing certain things like that. There's certain themes that people tend to have that they want to do better on or be better at. And I think that's good. I actually am very much um, a believer that change is hard, but it's definitely possible. And we should always be growing and evolving. If we're not, we're in a way dying. So we hopefully will always 
be focused on what can I do and what can I work on? How can I get even better and be better? And I do have belief that people can do something. Even if you've failed at something a hundred times, it doesn't mean that the hundred and first time it has to fail. You can um, do differently the next time, but you have to do different to make that happen. And so the first thing is to try to understand yourself and why you didn't achieve what you wanted to. The reason why this is important is it goes back to what I was saying before, that people, when they think about their future self and about goals, they just think of really someone else. So someone who has a hard time, let's say, waking up early, all of a sudden is up every morning at 5 a.m. going for a run. It's possible you turn into that person, but you might want to be a bit more realistic and think about who I have been and who I am and what do I want to do. The you that's going to go into the new world is still the you that you've had this last year. And so you have to work with that person to get to the place you want to get to, not just assume you're going to become this totally different person that will do things you've never done before. So we have to understand how did I get here? Who am I and what do I tend to do? And also what are the things that tend to mess me up? Let's say you make some kind of a goal. What gets you off track? And I can give you a few things that can get into people's way. One really big one that stops people from doing better is black and white thinking. So we like the feeling of January 1st because it gives us this clean slate feeling. You know, either I can do something every day this year or I can never do something I don't want to do. So I don't want to smoke cigarettes. What if I don't have even one cigarette all of 2023? Or if we want to go exercise, okay, what if I exercise every day of 2023? And so we create these very black and white types of goals that can be good as an ideal or a value or something we're encouraging ourselves to do. But unfortunately, they can set us up for failure in the sense that if we ever slip even a little bit, we lose sight of that positive goal or thing that we were trying to do. So when we are setting goals, it can be good to make them more specific. There's, you know, these different types of um, goal setting practices or paradigms like smart goals. I've even actually talked about it on my show very often. Things like setting specific goals that are measurable, attainable, um, relevant to you and time-based. So you say, for example, I'm going to lose 20 pounds by May 1st. Uh, You know, that could be more specific, measurable, attainable if it means something to you and has a time-based or time limit, then that would be a quote-unquote smart goal. That can be good. And so it can be good to set a goal that has some kind of standard like that that you can measure. But what can also be important is that not just think of this number, or let's say if it's reading something or not smoking, whatever it is, but also think of the value that is there. So if you're someone who wants to lose some weight because you feel that it's unhealthy, the weight that you're currently at, that can be really good. And focusing on the number can be helpful in helping you keep track of how things are going, what you're doing, all those things. Weight, of course, is just one measure. It's not the only measure that will really tell us how healthy you are, but it could be some measure, part of a bigger understanding of yourself. But you also want to think of, well, what's the value here? The value is here. I want to take care of my physical health because that's important for my well-being, for my happiness, how I experience life, even how long my life can be based on that and my health. So that is important because if we don't keep track of the value, then if we feel like we can't achieve the goal, then we say, I'll forget it. Well, I didn't lose enough weight to make it. 
so I should just give up now. Or if we say I'm going to exercise every day, now maybe even every day can be too much, but let's say it's like something moderate that you can do. Let's say going for a walk. So you say I'm going to go for a walk every day, and you make that the goal. But it can be important to keep the value or why is this my goal. So I think, one, I think getting outside will be good for me. The movement will be good to me. The physical exercise, going for a walk is a nice time to think, and I think that is valuable for me. And so if you put the value or the why for that goal, well, then if you, let's say, I'm going to walk every day, and on January 6th, you don't walk that day, you won't think, well, January 7th, I should stop walking altogether because I can't do every day this year. I have to wait till 2024, and then I can make a walking goal again. But that's what some people think, is that I broke my New Year's resolution, so it's time to give up. I have to wait till a new year to start. Uh, you know, you'll, I've seen some memes almost every year. It's kind of funny. It's like, oh, I already messed up 2023. 2024 is going to be my year. And it's kind of funny, but I think it's also funny because it reflects how many of us do think of ourselves and think of life in such a black and white way. Is this going to be my year, which means I'm going to be perfect and get it all right all the time, which is not realistic? Um, or is it I'm going to try to do better and be better? So I think when we're making your New Year's resolutions, your New Year's goals, it can be very important to make them systematic and measurable and all those things that can make it, make it a quote-unquote smart goal. I actually think that is very helpful because if you say I want to be healthier but you don't really know what that means or how you're going to understand if you're getting healthier or not, it can be also hard to keep track of what's going on. So I think it's important to have both, to have the specific measurable type of a thing, the ways that you're going to keep track of how you're doing, your progress, um, also can help you know what things are working and not working for you because you have that ability, ability to measure it. But also that value and the why underneath it is very important because that'll also help you stay on track even if you get off of track or to get you back on track. Okay, I wanted to exercise more because I think that's good for my body. If I didn't do it for a week, I'm not just going to throw it out the window because that doesn't make sense. Now I want to keep doing that good thing. So we have the measurable and we have the value and the why. And the important thing about the why is, first of all, it can, as I was saying, help us get back on track if we get off track, but it also can help serve as the motivation. So the why can be deeper. So it could be like, not just I want to be healthier, maybe part of your why is I want to be able to play with my grandkids or my why is I want to, um, you know, do this specific thing that, you know, like I want to climb this mountain or go hiking and I won't be able to do it unless I get healthier. So there could be the whys that we have, the reasons behind it could help us stay motivated more than usually the goal itself. It might feel cool. Oh, I, you know, I walked every day. I exercise this much or I stopped smoking cigarettes or whatever it is that is your goal. That probably does feel good, but the why is usually the thing that's really driving us and motivating us. Reading a certain number of books is cool. It might feel like, you know, that's good, but if you don't know the why of it, then it won't have that much value. So if you're creating goals, and as I said, I hope you do it at all times of the year, but as many people do, making New Year's resolutions, make sure you think of setting it up a certain way where you have the 
measurable and the specific and all those things that are important, but also think of the why. And also, you know, I know we usually call them New Year's resolutions, but I prefer New Year's goals more than resolutions because resolutions has this, it does create this black and white and that type of all or nothing thinking about it because it's usually like almost like a promise to yourself. I resolve to do this, which can be good, but it can again make it feel like once it's broken, you can throw it out the window. And so they, they say, you know, there's always some kinds of studies that come out or reports that, you know, this percentage of New Year's resolutions are, you know, two thirds are broken by January 8th or something like that, like some number like that. And it, it might be true, but you can ask yourself if I'm doing it because of this value, because it means something to me, then does it make sense to stop because I didn't do it perfectly based on some plan I came up with? And sometimes the plan it doesn't mean we even know. If you say, let's say I go for a walk every day, that goal is more something that's guiding you, some potential direction, or even it feels like a destination, but not necessarily it means where you exactly have to go. Because if you walk every day and then your ankle is hurting and you decide to take a day off, does that necessarily mean you've broken your goal of being healthier? Maybe that's what your body actually needed to keep going stronger rather than hurting your ankle worse and then now you have to stop altogether for a month or even longer it can make sense to listen to your body and it still is fitting within this framework of what your goal is about so i I think it's important to set the goals but also be mindful of how the goals might even limit us in a way a goal should only serve to motivate inspire to get us to do better but if we set them up the wrong way they can actually get in the way of doing better so if you say I'm not going to eat this food or I'm not going to eat this type of food or I'm only going to eat like this and then you break it and then now you break the diet completely. Well, then the whole thing should have been about eating better, not about fitting some exact standard or some um, exact way of doing things. And if you don't do it, then who cares? That doesn't make sense. So we have to be very careful not to get caught up in the all or nothing thinking that can happen when we have these types of goals that become very black or white. Now, it can also be very helpful when we set up our goals. We can have this myth of willpower and this myth of it's all on you. And many people have accomplished things completely on their own. I'm not saying it's not possible. When I say myth, it's really that what are we setting ourselves up for? We often think, well, shouldn't I be able to do this every day or do this thing or meet this standard? You possibly can by yourself. But we can definitely benefit from the support of our loved ones, people who care about us, because it can be very hard to keep ourselves on a certain track or certain schedule because we go through the ups and downs that we experience, but someone else doesn't feel what we feel. So when you're tired and don't want to work out one day, your friend who knows that you want to work out every day, well, they can still help push you because they're not feeling that tired that you feel. Hopefully they do it in a a supportive way, a loving way. They can still push you with encouragement without being harsh or mean, but they can be that consistency that you might have a hard time keeping internally. We all want good for ourselves. You all want good for someone else. And if we think about it, if we were to pick the actions of someone, a robot in a sense, we'd probably make better choices for them than we make for ourselves every day, which might seem strange because we think, well, Shouldn't I take care of myself better than some someone else or even some fictional type of character? And the answer is yes, but the reality is that when we experience life and if we have to make decisions that 
We want to make the ones that benefit us long term. As a human being, as a biological being, we are drawn towards things in the short term as well. That's what makes it difficult. That yes, you know you would benefit if you were able to exercise today, but it might be hard to get yourself to the gym or to whatever your workout is. Or you know that this food might not be good for you long term, but you're craving it or the taste of it or the temptation of it makes you want to have it now and experience it now. And so we want good for ourselves. It doesn't mean you necessarily don't like or love yourself, but by being a being, someone that feels things, it can be hard for us to always make the right decision all the time. We can't expect that we're going to do that. And even with the help of someone else, we won't obviously do it 100% of the time, but it can be helpful in giving us what support we need to make it more likely we do that. We know that we're all, um, we all perform better when we are accountable. If I said you have to study tonight, for three hours, you might do it. If I said a camera crew is coming and we're going to live stream you in your room for the next three hours and it's, everyone knows that you're supposed to be studying, you're probably going to study better. And you might think, well, shouldn't I be able to just motivate myself the same way as if people were watching me? Yeah, it would be nice, but realistically, that's not going to be the case. So as you set up your goals, I think it'd be good. One, yes, you have the goals and with that comes the why, two things. So the why might even be first want to be healthier, if you want to uh, change the way you're using your time, if you want to uh, achieve a new you know, capability or ability, artistic thing, whatever it might be, understanding that why is important, then setting up the goal that's more specific and measurable, but it's tied into that value and that why that you have. And then also creating a plan of how to achieve that goal, not just, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start waking up every day and doing this. That kind of is what you're trying to do at some level, but what's the plan of making it more likely for that to happen? And related to that, who might you enlist or enroll to help you in that in achieving that goal? Who do you think you can ask for support and what kind of support? You want to be specific, not just this person is going to help me, because if we all want to help each other out, we want to make sure we help in the ways that that person needs it. Oftentimes we help in a way that we think is good, but someone else can tell us what they need. So someone can say, you know what, help me by every Monday, check in with me about this, or I'm actually giving you permission. If you see me slipping on this thing, you can call me out and, and let me know, or maybe do it in secret. So if it's not in public or whatever it is, but we can find ways to ask for support for people because that makes it more likely that we achieve things. So we can have the value, have the specific goal, and then also have a plan which can, which should include the support of others who can help us achieve that goal. All right, let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. During the commercial break, it was interesting. I was um, looking for some things on my phone and then I came across a, a failed goal of my own. Um, and so it made me think of how we can fail to achieve goals and it, can be very disheartening and it make us possibly not believe in ourselves to do it again or do that same thing again. And I mentioned this in the last segment, that's why I wanted to touch on it here some more, that that fear of failure or that failure feeling we get, one, it can make us give up on the goal completely if we have this sense of we have to do it perfectly, um, but it also might make us afraid to set a goal, to try to do something or to tell ourselves or tell people we're going to do something. Now, interestingly, we have to be careful because sometimes when we declare a goal or we say we're going to do something, 
um, it almost feels makes us feel like we already did it. So sometimes we can feel like we accomplished that goal just because we declared it, because we imagine ourselves when we've achieved it. And so we can already start our victory lap before we've even started the race, unfortunately. So that can happen. But another aspect of this is that we might be afraid to set a goal because we might fail. And so I'm very much in favor of people dreaming big, of um, setting up themselves to not necessarily fail, but to push themselves to their limits, which means that sometimes you will fail or you won't make it. If you're trying to, let's say you're lifting weights and you want to know how much you can lift, you have to lift to an amount you can't lift or else we don't know if you've reached your maximum. You have to push yourself and say, okay, I did 100, let me try 110, 120, 130. Oh, I couldn't do 135, so I know I can do 130. But you have to keep pushing yourself. And so I think the same thing is true of us as as human beings, that going back to some of our perfectionistic black or white type of thinking, we feel like, okay, successes are good and failures are bad, which on the surface, that's going to be true. But if we look at our lives, and if we only have successes and no failures, it doesn't actually mean we did so good or we are so good. It means we didn't push ourselves hard enough, that we didn't try to get out of our comfort zone or to see the limits of our abilities or to try something to learn from it to then try it again or try it a different way. So this is another thing we have to be careful about when we're setting goals is that we have to not be afraid to fail or not to not be afraid to set a goal that's potentially a little out of reach or can be difficult to reach but that would feel really good if we got there but we might not get there we might not make it and that can be a little bit scary for us because it might feel easier or safer to take the bet that we think we will definitely win or definitely will get so i hope you will give yourself that possibility so i was saying before Yes, it's not going to be a new you in 2023 that shows up on that day and is going to do things so differently than you do now. But people can make big changes over time. It just it takes time. So you won't have a new you January 1st, 2023. But based on what you do in 2023, you can have a much better version of yourself January 1st, 2024. There's a lot you can accomplish in a year, a lot you can do to benefit yourself and do things you feel good about and push yourself out of your comfort zone in various areas of your life. And that's only going to happen based on you doing some some things in the right direction that takes some time. You know, you see people who make these big changes in their life, whatever it might be, it often starts with some small steps or it almost always will only be with small steps, but they eventually get somewhere quite far away. And that's actually something I admire when we look at people achieving their goals. A very common one you see online that makes this very concrete is things like people losing weight or transforming their bodies in some way. Um, That's a common one, but that's a very just specific one. Unfortunately, one we might get too preoccupied with in our especially social media world where we can get so focused on looks and how you appearance and that level of things. But any other change that someone might make, some of them might be imperceptible to the surface. They might not physically change, but mentally they change or they feel much better or they create a better relationship for themselves, all those types of goals. But going back to this, just the notion of 
let's say, a body transformation because it's easier for what I'm about to describe. Of course, we look at the after picture and people are like, wow, you know, that's great. Look at how they've changed. They did, they're healthier. They look better, whatever that is. That's, that's something. But what I think is even more interesting for me or sometimes even better for me, I don't know, maybe better is not the right word, but uh, I even find more inspiring is the first, the before picture, which usually doesn't look as good if we're talking about a before and after. Obviously, you would hope that's the case. That's why they're posting it, let's say. But the before picture, let's say, has more weight, but it also has more hope, or it had to have that hope and that belief. And that's something we have to have when we set any goal. We have to believe we can achieve it. And so I really admire when I look at someone who made a big change in their life that took a long time and they had to put a lot of effort and consistent effort likely they slipped along the way doesn't mean every step was in the right direction but they got to some goal some destination i admired the belief that they had to have had in themselves and in the process and in making whatever change it is they were working towards that belief i think is sometimes undermined we just focus on the result without trying to understand well how did that person get there it wasn't just Yes, it was the hard work and dedication or whatever they did, but that hope and belief had to be there and they had to have that. Now, hope and belief is not absolute. It's not 100%. It doesn't mean that you only believe in yourself, but that you have enough belief to try. We don't know. You're going to start a new business. Of course, you want to be confident and believe in it, but there's no guarantee that it's not going to work. And you know that you might lie to yourself or someone might say, declare that they are a hundred percent certain about something, but that's really not true. Or you get married and you know that of course the relationship not working out in divorce is possible, but you hopefully have hope and belief that it can be a happy marriage, a healthy marriage. It can survive. Um, this notion of having some doubt, uh, last night I watched the documentary on Pele, the, the Brazilian soccer player, considered definitely one of the best of all time, and I think it was before the, the, the World Cup final in 1970, and he had actually gone away from international soccer and coming back was going to be this kind of, he wasn't sure about it, and it was the final, and he was talking about how he was crying on the way to the stadium. He's having lots of emotions, but he's talking about being nervous and the interviewer said, so even the great players get nervous sometimes. And he said all of the time. And I actually really appreciated that because it was such a, uh, a real and vulnerable and genuine answer. You know, he didn't just say, oh, I, I believe in myself so much. I never got nervous. I'm so good. Here's someone who maybe is the best player of all time, acknowledging that he would feel nervous all the time. <laughs> and so when you see him, you could see he had a lot of confidence too, but it reminds us that confidence and belief in ourselves is not 100% and not 100% of the time. It's just not realistic. So we have to understand that when we have hope and belief, it doesn't mean it's absolute. It doesn't mean there's never um, some feeling of doubt that will creep in. Everyone has doubt sometimes. And the reason why I think this can be important to remember is that the way doubt feels, well, of course, it's telling us, oh, this thing, who, who do you think you are? Or you can't do this or it's not going to work out. And so just like any feeling, when we experience it, it feels real and we think it's giving us some kind of true information. So some people will think, well, if I'm doubting myself as an artist, if I'm doubting myself that I can achieve this goal, if I'm 
doubting myself or myself and my partner in this relationship, if I have any, if I have some self-doubt or doubt about it, then it must be that it's not that good because we think, well, yeah, this famous singer, look at how confident she is or look how confident he is. They, they never had doubt. Look at that. They were just out there doing their thing or this person who created this business. Look at that. They started from nowhere and created something that, that can't be me or these people that are so in love. Look how in love they are. They never doubted it. Even, uh, you know, I remember reading about Mother Teresa, who we consider this saint because of what she did. And we would think, well, she's so steadfast in her belief in God and, and uh, believing in God and never doubting that. But there was later letters or I don't know if it was her diary or letters revealed that she did have some doubt at times about believing. So we, we at times assume when we see someone's actions that we know exactly what's going on internally. If they're singing in front of so many people, if they're acting in this way, if they're an athlete and they're on the biggest stage and performing well, they can't have any nervousness or self-doubt. They just believe in themselves. And it's just not true. That's not how people experience things. Doesn't mean they're only doubting themselves. Of course, they have some confidence or else they wouldn't be out there. But we shouldn't be... Um, blinded by the fact that we see them perform well, let's say, or see the ones that succeed, that makes us think they didn't have any doubt. The doubt was also there. And so if you doubt yourself at some level, that that's okay. That can totally be uh, part of your success story, that at times I doubted myself and then I made it still. You have to have enough belief to get there, enough hope, so we can't just have doubt, of course, but don't expect yourself not to have any or to to have no doubt throughout the process. Like many things, it's going to ebb and flow. There might be times you go, I'm going to do this. I got this. And then you might wake up one morning and go, who was I kidding? I can't do this thing. I, I should have just, I should just give up. And at times that's actually the voice inside our head that wants to take the easy way out because it's easier to quit than to keep pushing and to keep going. But if we think we can't do it, then we're off the hook. And that's actually something we like to do sometimes. And actually, this relates to how we look at certain people. You know, we look at certain, let's say, athletes who have made it or people who have accomplished great things. And we sometimes like the myth of turning them into these almost like an immortal hero, this like legend, like, oh, this so-and-so, they just had this natural ability. And so they were just naturally able to do this thing that they were amazing at and became the best. And that was it. It was just natural. And that's, that's the whole story. But that story is a lot easier for us to digest because it lets us off the hook. So if we see some athlete in incredible shape and doing incredible things with their body, we go, oh, they're just, they just are just, it's in their DNA. They had it in them and that's why they became who they are. Now, if they're becoming the best at something, likely they have some things in their genes that gave them a predisposition and proclivities that made them likely to be better at it or be the best at it. But if you look at yourself, do you think you've done all the work to be the best you can be at whatever it is we're talking about? So if they're able to run fast, yes, maybe the fastest runner in the world likely has some genetic abilities that help them, but they also had to work their butt off or else they wouldn't become the best in the world. They wouldn't become the fastest or the, run the longest or whatever it is that they did just by DNA or genes alone. But it's easier to think of it that way because then we don't have to push ourselves as hard or we think there's no point in trying. I can't be that good or I can't be that great, which is wrong in two accounts or two counts. One is 
that's not true about those people that became the best. They worked very, very hard. That's actually why I wish there was more um, videos and shows. There are some that show how hard athletes work because we often just see them shining on the biggest stages and, and getting to celebrate and all those, the glory, but we don't see the blood, sweat, and tears that went into getting to that that point. I think it's good for all of us, but especially for kids who they can sometimes say, oh, I just want to be the best in the world at this. But then when you say work at it, like, oh, no, no, I just want to like be on the stage and have fun and have the attention. Well, that part obviously feels great, but you're going to have to work hard to get it. And look, the person you're admiring, he or she worked very, very hard to get there. Don't think they just showed up one day on the biggest stage and performed well. They had to be working at it for years and years and really pushing themselves uh, in, in very, very difficult ways. So it's wrong in that sense that they they didn't do it, but also is wrong in the sense that we limit what we're capable of, that we think we can't do something great when you absolutely can. Will you necessarily be the best in the world at something? No. But that's the part that we also get wrong is that we're comparing ourselves to that, that the only standard is be the best in the world at this or don't do it at all, which doesn't make any sense. Then almost none of us should do anything because there's only one person that's the best at anything in the world, and that's only at a given time. So we can become our best version and we have to remember our competition is with no one but ourselves and our own potential how much of it can i reach but don't get fooled into thinking that one the people that are doing great things don't doubt themselves and two that they got there just kind of by luck or chance or in their genes rather than by the hard work that they did so have that hope in yourself that belief in yourself and have that hope even if you failed before Pay attention to what didn't work for you. If you do the exact same things, yes, you're going to get the same results. You shouldn't expect something new to happen. But just because you failed at something doesn't mean you have to fail again. People have become successful at something that they've failed at many, many times before. And so our self-doubt will obviously be more when it's something that we've tried and failed at before. That is understandable and to be expected. And if we go in with that expectation, we're likely to end up there. But if we can hold on to some hope that even though I've not been successful in this before or it didn't work out for me before, it doesn't mean it has to happen again. We can make it more likely we succeed. That hope and that belief in ourselves doesn't mean we're immune to self-doubt or it has no self-doubt in it. But I really admire that part where we have belief and hope in ourselves. We believe that we can do something. I believe I can make a change. That's the first step to leading to any result. So before any after picture, in that before picture, there has to be hope and belief. And before we achieve any goal, we have to have that hope and belief in ourselves. All right, let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. back so uh, i've been talking about setting goals of course with the new year coming around people making new year's goals resolutions i'm more like new year's goals than resolutions thinking of the things we want to work on and work towards and the values and the whys rather than just making some kinds of promises to ourselves and want to be careful not to make black or white types of goals because then it can feel like once we have broken them if we said we're doing something every day or every week then we think, well, I got to give up on it till next year, which is kind of a, a easy way out or letting ourselves off the hook. Now, um, setting goals and reflecting on the year can be important. 
And one thing we might not think of if we reflect on our goals or reflect on the year, we might think, oh, this good thing happened, bad thing, or I wish I maybe something happened. But another way of looking at that as far as like what I wish happened is what I wish I did. And so I actually am in favor of doing kind of like a regret audit. I think I've heard, I've heard that term before in other ways, or uh, sometimes people use it if I look forward, what would I regret the least as far as a next course of action. But it can be important to look at your regret audit for the last year or recent. I also think you can do it another way of going forward as that regret audit is of looking back, what might I regret? But if you look at 2022, what do you regret the most about what you did, but probably more importantly, what you didn't do in this past year? So first the what you did, probably it's some things, a lot of it might be about you and yourself, things you did to yourself as far as not taking care of yourself or things you could have done better, making better choices. Probably if you think closely enough, you'll have some regrets about your relationships, people close to you, maybe something you said or did or how you treated someone. You might have some regrets there if you look at yourself closely enough with a compassionate but yet um, genuine I, where you see, okay, well, yeah, I did some things that I wish I didn't do or that were hurtful to people and I could have been better. But as I was saying, the main thing you will likely regret or the main category are things you didn't do that I wish I tried something new. I wish I took a risk in this area of life. I wish I did this more often. Maybe it's something you did, but you wish you did it more. Wish I spent more time with loved ones, reached out to people, did more good things, read more, you know, a lot more of those kinds of things likely will come up. And so it's not let's look back at your year of regret just to beat yourself up and to feel bad about yourself, but it's actually to learn from it and to go forward in a positive way. And so one thing that's necessary and when I've reflected on regret, reading the book, The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink, and then um, subsequently on many shows discussing this topic, which I think is an important one, is that to even look at ourselves in this way, we have to start from a basic level of love, of self-love and self-compassion. Unfortunately, many people, for many of us, we go to such a shameful place if we think about mistakes or shortcomings that rather than this ending up being a potentially positive exercise, we can end up in this shame cycle where we're just beating ourselves up and feeling bad about ourselves, like how could I, or that makes me a bad person. And we give ourselves no space to be human. So to be human means that if you look at any day and even not just a year, but any day, there's many things you could have done better doesn't mean you're a bad person, doesn't mean you should be mad at yourself or beat yourself up. With compassion, love, and acceptance, you can reflect and be, oh, I could have done this, that would have been better, or maybe this would have been good, or the way I talked to that person, I think I could have been more kind to my partner than I was today, or yeah, this would have been a good thing to take care of for myself, whatever it might be. So there's a, a curiosity and a exploration and trying to understand, but it doesn't have to have a judgment. But if we don't have some basic level of self-love and compassion for ourselves, if we always felt like our being loved and being accepted was barely there, often not, and 
we had to make sure we never got things wrong, well, then we can be afraid to look at ourselves and what we did and didn't do and try to really understand what we might regret. So when people say, I have no regrets or I've never regretted anything or have no regrets in my life, I often hear that as someone who won't allow themselves that space to even go there because it's too painful or they're going to beat themselves up too much if they find a mistake. So they want to say there, were, there was no mistake. So I always think it's healthy to look at life and think, yeah, there's things I could have done better and I'd like to do better and actually want to learn from that. What do I regret from this last year? And I know I'm saying have this basic level of self-love and self-compassion. It's not just something you can just turn on or completely fake. If you don't have that sense of self-love and self-compassion, it likely will mean that from a young age, you didn't receive this sense that you are good, acceptable, and lovable as you are, that your sense of being lovable is not uh, being questioned, that, oh, you're, oh, you were cute enough, we're going to love you today, or you didn't mess up, so we're going to love you today. I've heard so many people will tell me things like, oh, you know, my parents, they abused me in this way, or they did this thing, but, you know, I was a bad kid. I was a bad kid. And, of course, it's it's a lot of things. It's we don't want to think of our parents as bad people. We don't want to think that that's what our life was like, or we want to think that they focus on their love for us. So it could be a lot of reasons, but in some way we can almost feel like we deserve to be mistreated. When I think most people, if I said, hey, there's this kid, do you think they should be emotionally or physically abused? Almost no one will think that it's based on their behavior, that if they should be abused or not, they would just say no one should be abused. No child should get abused. So no, but we sometimes won't give ourselves the same benefit of the doubt, or we might not interpret our own life story that way. So unfortunately, even if it's in an unconscious way, we can internalize the sense that we are not quite lovable as we are, we're not okay. And this is why I think it's such an important thing that parents recognize that, yes, of course, we want to teach good values, good things. It's not that we say all behavior is equal, but the sense of being loved that our love for them being unconditional is something that we want our young children to feel in a very core and deep way, that we want them to be exactly as they are, who they are is okay. Yes, we'll look at things and maybe they want to, oh, look, you did this thing this way, let's try it this way. But that sense of being loved and accepted is never uh, on trial. It's always there. So hopefully you do have that. If you don't, that's unfortunate. Many people don't have that sense and it's not necessarily black and white the way you might feel about it. But I hope if you don't have that sense of self-compassion or self-love where you don't give yourself that space to not be perfect, none of us are, um, that you will think about working on it through. There's books like Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff, Going to Therapy. It's much more complicated than that. I say that because I'm talking on a show and uh, as you can probably hear, going to move on to some other aspect of the topic. But I hope it's something that you will realize you are worthy of of love and being loved, that you don't need to do something to be accepted and be lovable. You can have that experience without needing it to be earned. It should be something that's like a human right. But so coming back to this notion that hopefully we can have that tolerance of seeing ourselves as what did I do wrong or could have done better, but especially what didn't I do? And that's what people find the most, that the things they tend to regret or when they think of the regrets of their life, it's more the things that they didn't do that they wish they had done. And so you can reflect on that. What do I wish I did in this past year that I didn't do? And it could be specific types of things like, oh, I wish I called 
my friend more, or I wish I did this type of behavior more, or this action more. And those can be important to keep in mind. But it's also important to think of the things that maybe weren't as apparent, like taking a particular type of risk, trying something new. Because as much as we might think, you know, this I was saying before, the new year, new you, because the same you is going with the same brain and the same life and things that are going on around you, you're more than likely going to do a lot of the same things next year. And that's not all bad. Some, a lot of what you did was probably good. But to make ourselves or to get ourselves to do some risks or try some new things, that's not going to be what likely will happen without some effort and some conscious and deliberative effort to make some kinds of changes. So if you want to take a risk, well, because it's a risk, it's always going to feel like the wrong thing to do. Given the choice to do something risky or something safe, if we're not thinking much and we are definitely in an emotional, unconscious way, we're going to do the safer thing always. And as is always the case, we're incredible lawyers for justifying what we do. Oh, you know, better safe than sorry, or it's just not the right time. You know, you hear that so often when people are considering trying something new. Oh, it's just, it wasn't the right time. It's going to, you know, later on, I'm going to do it, but it's just not, it just doesn't feel right. And so the reason why we have to think about this is that taking a risky move will always feel like it's not the right time. Doing something that doesn't feel good, it's never going to feel like the right time to do something that doesn't feel good. It's always going to feel like the wrong time because that's how it feels. It feels wrong. But we're basically saying, I'm going to do the thing that feels more wrong in the moment, more difficult in the moment, less comfortable in the moment, because I think it has some longer term benefit. So I want to push myself out of my comfort zone. And to push out of our comfort zone will always take effort. It will never be easy. If it is, then it's still part of your comfort zone. It's going to feel uncomfortable, which means it won't feel good. So it can be good to reflect on what do I wish I did that I didn't do this last year? And then also try to understand why. So it's, of course, it's easy. Oh, I should have just started that new business or I should have just, you know, wrote that poem or I should have, you know, did that painting and put it in online or something. It's easy to say it in hindsight because in hindsight, you don't have to go through the feelings of it. But that's why you want to do it the other way around. We're trying to reflect, well, why didn't I do it? If I try to understand why I didn't do it, what got in the way? And so it's like, well, you know, I was afraid of people's judgments or I, you know, actually I always was told that I'm not good at this. So I think I was afraid to. So how do I overcome that? So trying to understand what got in the way. And this is why actually the compassionate approach will work better because often if we have the more harsh approach, like, yeah, just suck it up and do it. Or I could have done it. It was so easy. I just didn't, what was wrong with me? I didn't do it. So if we approach it that way, we tend to beat ourselves up and just go to the, well, I could have done it. So I should have done it type of a way. And so if we do that, we're likely to repeat the same thing because you're going to feel the same thing when the time comes to, to potentially make that step. Or more likely, you won't even think of taking that step because it's uncomfortable. It won't even come to mind. You keep doing the comfortable things. So reflect on this year. Reflect on the goals and things you maybe wish you would have accomplished and wished you achieved. Things you did that you wish you didn't do. I think that's also important. But what are the things you wish you would have done or tried that you didn't do? And I think all of us should have some things. If you don't, it probably means you're staying in that comfort zone so strongly or you've built those walls so strongly around that cocoon of the comfort zone that you don't want to even consider doing different things. 
if you want to live your dream life, you have to get out of bed. You have to do something differently. What I mean by that is even though it's a dream, it doesn't mean you just go to bed and it happens for you. You have to get yourself uncomfortable to get to that dream. If you want to have something different happen, you have to do some things that don't feel good. But going back to what I was saying in the last segment about some people just, you know, when we look at some athletes that are doing incredible things, we think they were just born with it. We forget that when we want that dream, it's not that you just wake up and enjoy the good part. You have to go through that hard part that is not going to feel good. So reflect on 2022, of course, the goals and things you want to do, but what didn't you do that you want to do in 2023? And why didn't you do it in 2022? Why of curiosity, not of judgment? I want to understand what happened, not punish myself or put myself down. Why didn't I do those things? And what can I now do to try to overcome those things that got in the way so that this year I do them or I do these things? It doesn't have to be in this year. It could be this week, this month or whenever it is, but that I can do it soon. How do I break out of that comfort zone to do something and then that I'll feel good about? What will I feel good about that I tried in this year that I didn't do in this past year. So regret sounds negative, it feels negative, but we actually can utilize it to our benefit by future looking and what what might I regret, but also looking back at what we've already experienced, what we regret, what we did, but especially what we didn't do and try to break those patterns and break those cycles. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So this is my last show of 2022, and I probably do some reflecting on shows, how things have gone this year, but also I just wanted to thank all of you that uh, listened to the show and have given me either feedback, support, even sometimes not so positive feedback, but I appreciate that as well. Uh, this year and throughout the years, it's really such a honor to get to do a show like this and even if I reflect on these eight and a half years that I've gotten to do it it's helped me grow in a lot of ways uh, as well I hope it's been helpful to you but selfishly I can say it's also been very helpful for me in learning growing always thinking about what I'm going to talk about on the show it's created a certain type of intellectual curiosity and almost an intellectual inter exercise where I'm thinking about things constantly. I think I'm, I'm, I've done that before, but it makes me think about it in certain ways that I've really uh, have, have learned a lot from and has helped me grow. But also when you've, you've send me feedback in any way, I do appreciate it. Feel free to do it. Uh, not to say I get so many messages, but I do get enough where at times I don't get to see all of them on, let's say, Instagram. But when I do get them and sometimes I'll get to take a look at them, I appreciate the feedback. I have gotten many book suggestions, uh, some of which have I've talked about on the show, topic suggestions, uh, just general feedback. One that I get often is please speak Farsi, which <laughs> probably won't be happening anytime soon, but I understand and I appreciate that even you want to hear what I have to say and maybe in a language that's more comfortable for you. Uh, but I do appreciate all of that. And I also appreciate that I get to share my thoughts with you. And you, if you care to listen, I appreciate that. If you don't, then you're probably not listening to me now anyway. So that works out. But I do appreciate that I get to do this every week. And it's become part of my life um, for the last eight and a half years. And I'm forever grateful for that and those experiences that I have. You know, when we talk about accountability, 
I mentioned that when you're setting your goals, it can be so helpful to have someone supporting you, someone that you can count on to make sure you're accountable to keep you on track. And one of the ways that you have all kept me on track is when it comes to my goal of reading a book every week and talking about it on the show, I have the best accountability, which is that I know I have to be ready to discuss the book. Usually it's on Mondays. It was also before on Wednesdays at times now, even on Fridays because of the new showtime. But I always have that accountability that I can't explain to you how helpful and meaningful that has been to me. Because if I didn't have that, I don't know if I, I think it's pretty likely I wouldn't have read all the books every week. But knowing I had you, this unknown you, it's, it's interesting when you do a, a radio show. Right now, uh, Ghazal is in the studio with me, but it's just her and I. I don't know how many of you are listening or when you're even listening, but this is an interesting way that when you talk into this microphone, you don't know whose ears it is reaching, and you always just hope it's reaching people that want to hear it, and, and, and you're touching them in a hopefully a positive way. But I don't know who's listening out there, but I always do feel this responsibility to provide you with a show that I think is at least interesting to me and hopefully interesting to you. But when I read the books also to be able to talk about them in a way that is intelligible and has some meaning or value that I hope you you take with you. Now, another way that I have felt very lucky to do this show is I've always gotten messages from people um, from around the world, which is really beautiful and so humbling when I get a message from someone from a different country that says they've listened to the show or something was helpful for them, uh, you don't know how meaningful that is and how inspiring it is. Anytime I get a message from someone who says they've either enjoyed the show or listened, it only makes me want to work harder to do better because you feel this responsibility, this appreciation for their appreciation, and you want to make what you're doing even better for them. You feel that it's part of something bigger than just you. Um, and I have, even before this year, been very grateful to receive messages from people who are listening from Iran and um, their feedback, their support. I've heard messages from or heard from others. Oh, so-and-so, I saw a book you were recommending and they were reading it in some small town in Iran, for example. And I was very um, touched by that. And I thought that was very, very sweet. And I have to say that that's only gotten more... Um, intense that feeling in these last few months since uh, the murder of Mahsa Amini in Iran and the subsequent protests leading to a movement leading towards revolution that's been happening that to receive messages from people in Iran feels even more different more meaningful than before uh, even has more of an impact and when you talk about being humbled, when someone thanks you for just sharing a message on Instagram or reposting something um, and they send you such sincere thanks, you feel almost embarrassed by their thanks when you consider what they're going through and how little the effort is that you made or what you did. But their appreciation is very touching and moving. And I've been very lucky to receive that um, from time to time from individuals in Iran and knowing what they're going through. And so I was saying that we don't know, you know, or we keep track of time in certain ways in Iran. It won't be New Year's next week. That's going to be in a few months. Um, but when I think of 2023, I do have 
some goals for myself. I've actually thought about them a bit. I'll be writing them out and even maybe discussing them with some loved ones and how they can support me and help me in doing those things that I was saying. But one of the biggest goals I have for 2023, it's not really a goal for me. Um, it's more of a, a wish and a hope, not just a wish and an empty hope that we just make, but one that I hope and I can see will be realistic. But for 2023 is a revolution in Iran for things to change for the better for the people of Iran. And so I am hopeful for that. And as I've talked about on the show, uh, I don't think that I can make it happen, but I will do everything I can to meet my responsibility as an individual to support the people of Iran, to share their voices and to share their stories, amplify their voices and to spread the awareness and share that so that we don't lose that momentum because that's all that I can do, although there's always more we can do. And as I've encouraged us all to do is to think of more creative ways, not just the standard ways that we personally can can do something. But when I think ahead to 2023, um, there is this hope that it will be a year that we'll, we'll remember that when we think of the 1979 revolution, maybe it'll be the 2023 revolution that we experience. That's assuming it doesn't happen in these next seven or eight days of 2022. Um, maybe that's I don't want to be pessimistic, but let's just say that that if it can happen sooner, the sooner the better because of what people are experiencing there. And I'm continuously heartbroken by what I see, the news that I'm seeing. I try to stay informed. There's sadly so much sad news that comes out of Iran that it's hard to know or be aware of all of it and to keep yourself informed. But I do make those attempts, but I'm, I'm hopeful for that sad news to slowly change into something to lead to some result. I was talking about goals and, you know, putting effort and doing things. And, and I even get that when I'm doing these shows with everything that's happening in Iran, sometimes it can seem trivial. And of course it is in comparison. If we consider a goal of, let's say, walking every day and people are literally fighting for their lives, it can feel like, how can we how can we talk about both things or how can you even talk about one when something so serious is going on? And that's, that's something I've also struggled with in doing this show in that I know people's hearts and minds are very much with what's happening in, in Iran. And I do, I've had guests discussing and I've covered it or covered topics related to what's going on, especially for those of us outside of Iran. I can't be someone to give advice to people who are in Iran and what they're going through and experiencing and what they plan to do. But for those of us outside of Iran, sometimes I'll share my thoughts on what I think could be good and bad and what we have to be um, aware of. But I also know that this being a process, at times my show might not only be focused on what's happening in Iran, especially because as much as I try to stay informed, uh, I'm not a journalist who knows everything in the ins and outs to be someone who can give full reports of what's happening or the most updated information in some kind of a reliable way that I'm not that news source for people and I don't um, claim to be expect to be or want people to think of me. There are many people who are doing great work to keep people informed and to share the stories and often what I'm doing is sharing their uh, information or their posts or 
articles and things of that nature. But just know that even if a show does not involve what's happening in Iran, what I talk about and up until this point, I hadn't mentioned it. It doesn't mean my heart and my thoughts are not there as well. It's just sometimes there's only so much of it that I can talk about or even have topics that might relate to it in a way that would be relevant and make sense. But when we talk about making a goal or having a goal, um, and we talk about the value of that goal, I was talking about thinking about that for ourselves. Uh, gosh, what greater value than human rights and freedom that the people of Iran are fighting for? That's a goal that all of us can get behind and, and believe in, and we have that hope. And I don't know what all the people in Iran are, are feeling themselves, but I know that there's a lot of hope from those of us on the outside that we also get from those of the people inside Iran that we can achieve this goal of, of a revolution, of a change, that things don't have to be the way that they have been for, for 43 years, that something better can come. And so as we go into, I think now it's been more than 100 days of since the protests have started. I don't know how many more days it will be, but I hope we just keep going. And the we that I'm talking about now is those of us on the outside uh, of the country who care about our brothers and sisters in Iran and what they're going through. And I hope we can continue being supportive, continue, of course, supporting them, but supporting one another. I've also heard and seen from many people that now to post about other things I've experienced it too can feel like, well, I can't post about anything about other than Iran because then it could seem insensitive or I'm bringing attention to myself in some way. But we are still also living our lives and we can't pretend like we are not. And I think it could be okay to share our successes, our loves, our joys, the things that we go through because also that's what the fighting is for is to give everyone those rights to be able to do those things so we don't have to pretend like we don't have them those things that maybe someone in Iran can experience I think it could be okay to share what you experience but I, I also appreciate the sensitivity that people are having and recognizing that this moment is bigger than uh, the things that we focus on day to day or the things we tend to post on social media pale in comparison to the seriousness of what is happening in Iran at this time. So as I reflect on 2022, um, I was talking about the ways that we keep track of time and how, of course, the calendar can be a big one, or we had COVID was also a obviously big one in the past few years. But I think for most Iranians, let's say Iranian Americans who have this Gregorian calendar, the calendar is very much split between pre-Masa Amini and this current uprising and hoping to be revolution and post that that of course it wasn't that things in Iran were good before that but this awakening that happened from that event of her being murdered and triggering what has now turned into this movement and uprising and hopefully soon revolution uh, when we think of our 2022 I think most people when I think of for example July it feels like such a different time because it was before all of this was happening. And then when it started or in mid-September, things started to feel very different. And so the way we experienced 2022, I think, is very much colored by this pre and post what has been happening in Iran. And when we think ahead to 2023, I think for most Iranians, 
there is this sense of hope, of course, concern, fear, all sorts of feelings that we have, but there is a hope that we will see some significant changes. As I mentioned, with my little understanding, and of course we can't predict these things, it likely is a long process, it's already been several months, but it can be longer and I hope we will persevere. Of course, the people in Iran, they are the ones that are really going through it, but if those of us supporting continue to support, not to lose sight of this, that we're going into 2023 with that same motivation and energy and inspiration to help those people the best that we can in hopes of a free Iran and doing everything that we can. And we hope that 2023 will be this significant year in Iranian history in being one that where the next revolution happen that leads to a new and free Iran, one that is no longer have gender apartheid where men and women and all people are treated equal and people have the rights to live their lives and have all of the basic human rights. I'm hopeful for that more than anything I wish for myself. I wish that for Iran and the people of Iran. So again, a big thank you to all of you that listen, but especially if you're listening in Iran, I'm so grateful and really um, know that I wish I was listening to you and what you have to, to say and what you're experiencing. But if you are listening, I appreciate that. Anytime you can send me a message, please do with lots and love and support to all the people of Iran and for hopes of 2023 being this next great year in Iranian history and Iranian events happening. I'm hopeful for a revolution to be taking place. That brings us to the end of this show. A big thank you to Ghazaleh here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Alakwi. Zan, Zendegi, Azadi.